Well, good morning. If we could go ahead and take our seats. We are concluding our evangelism series this morning, and we're so very thankful to Ethan Prouse, Jason White, and Jim Donahue for equipping us this past month on the topic of evangelism. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah had an incredible challenge set before him. He was risen up by God at a time when the nation of Judah was deteriorating morally, spiritually, and politically. God's word was deemed offensive by the inhabitants of the land. Some scholars believe that Jeremiah was in his late teens or early 20s when he was commissioned by God to be a prophet. He was chosen by God to speak truth to a rebellious people on judgment. And one thing I like about Jeremiah is that he could neither be bought or persuaded by the wicked. His ministry was twofold. It was constructive. If the people listened to the word of the Lord, confessed and repented of their sin, then they would be spared judgment. But it was also destructive. If the people refused to repent and continued to walk in the ways of sin, judgment would come upon them. And the same is true with the gospel today. If people listen to the gospel and receive it by grace through faith, repenting of their sin, they will be spared future wrath. The wrath of God will not affect them on the final day. However, if people do not turn from sin, but continue to walk in sin, wrath will come on that final day. The purpose of Jeremiah's life was to tell the people to turn from their sin and to trust God. Our purpose, the purpose of our life as a Christian, is to tell people the same message, turn from sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation. You know, we've been hearing of this statistic that many Christian millennials do not believe that they should evangelize. If that's the case, then these people are in direct disobedience to God and his word. They're either biblically illiterate, don't know the Bible, or acting out of ignorance— or they know the Bible and are acting in outright rebellion toward God and his word. And the question arises, are they even Christians? Jesus said in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Proclaiming the gospel is a command. And I am very thankful that we have millennials here in this church who are not ashamed of the gospel, who proclaim the gospel And who live the gospel. And may Christ's community continue by the grace of God to train our people in the gospel from early childhood on. But by the standard of the world today and by the standard of much of the American evangelical church, Jeremiah would have been considered a miserable failure. One of the modern day myths of evangelism is that our success hinges on results. If you get no results, meaning if no one gets saved while you're evangelizing, then you must, then you are unsuccessful and must be a failure. Don't listen to that lie. 
When Jeremiah spoke, no one listened. When he urged people to act, no one moved. He never made a convert in his 40 plus years of ministry. Jeremiah was not results oriented. He was truth oriented. And because he was truth oriented and not results oriented, he was rejected. He was, he was rejected and they plotted against him. We see this in Jeremiah chapter 11. They basically say, let's take this guy out. He's nothing but trouble for us. Jesus too was rejected by his own people. Isaiah 53 3 says he was despised and rejected by men. There were many who rejected Christ who did not want to hear what he had to say about who he is. And there will be rejection in evangelism. People aren't going to want to hear you talk about who Jesus is. Jeremiah was hated and he was beaten. Jeremiah chapter 20. Pastor, the chief officer, had him beaten and put into stocks. Our Lord was beaten as well. We see this in Mark chapter 14. They punched him. They spat upon him and they beat him. As followers of Christ, we too are going to be hated because of Jesus. The cross is offensive. The name of Jesus is offensive. The gospel is offensive. Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. No matter how kind-hearted you are when proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter how gentle you are in your approach, some will be deeply offended. But it's a risk worth taking. The message God gave to Jeremiah grieved his heart. We see this in Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 1. He says, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. When was the last time we grieved for those walking in rebellion? When was the last time we wept for those in our families who are currently dead in their trespasses and sins? We should be grieved over the multitudes of people walking this earth who are at enmity with the Lord of hosts. We walk by them every day. We work side by side them every day. We live next door to them. We shop in their stores. We homeschool them. We teach them in our government schools and in our Christian schools. We sit next to them in our Sunday morning services. We should be grieved over the plight of the unbeliever. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Jesus, when he looked up at the, at, at the multitudes, he was, he was filled with compassion because he saw that they were sheep without a shepherd and it grieved him. Jeremiah loved the people that God had sent him to even though they did not love him back just like Jesus. 
Jeremiah was imprisoned because of his message and labeled a traitor. Jeremiah chapter 37, Arijah, the captain of the guard, said, you are deserting to the Babylonians. When it was really Judah that was acting treacherously. And so what do they do? They arrest this man of God and put him in a makeshift prison. You too may find yourself being persecuted and prosecuted because of the gospel. But don't worry. Jesus said, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak this, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So if you ever get arrested and are brought to court, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will speak through you and you will be amazed by what he says. Trust Jesus in what he's saying. It's true. I know. It's true. And Jeremiah wanted to quit. We see this in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. He said, if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot. Jesus, too, was tempted to quit. Luke chapter 22, verse 42, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There are going to be times when we want to quit. When no one wants to hear the truth. When it seems that the gospel falls on deaf ears. When we become persecuted for proclaiming the gospel. Don't give in to the temptation to quit. Evangelism can be difficult, yes. There is a lot of fear involved, yes. But let us not forget the role the Holy Spirit plays in evangelism. Jeremiah also lived to see the destruction of Jerusalem. He watched on a hill as the Babylonians invaded the land and took the people into exile. People have often asked me if I think America will be destroyed for her sin. If some nation will overtake us someday. Well, I, I think we're destroying ourselves. All we have to do is turn on the news and you'll see lawlessness everywhere. Sin is abounding. Perversion is abounding. Bloodshed is abounding. Oh, but what a great time to be alive and to be a Christian in America. Although it seems dark, the light of the gospel shines forth through you and through you and through you. The title of my message today, The Truth Offends, and It's a Risk Worth Taking. Jeremiah chapter 1. I'm going to do something different today. 
I'm going to be reading out of the New International Version. I'm not an ESV-only guy. Jeremiah chapter 1. And for those of you who don't have an NIV, which is fine, I'm going to have it posted on here if you'd like to read it. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. O sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. What we just read describes Jeremiah's reluctance to God's call on his life. He gives God two excuses. The first excuse that Jeremiah gives to God is his speaking inability. In verse 6, he says, O sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a child. In other words, he's saying, I can't do this, God. I can't speak to these people. I'm not a man of eloquent speech, and you want me to be your spokesman? How many of you remember somebody else who gave God that same excuse in the Old Testament? Who? You guys are good. Amen. Moses. That's right. Moses said in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, I am slow in speech and tongue. Let someone else do it. What we don't realize or or remember is what God's response to that answer was. God's anger burned against Moses because of his excuse. That's what the scripture says. So Jeremiah is giving God that same excuse. Now, what's interesting is here, Jeremiah's father was a priest. So Jeremiah was taught about the patriarchs. He knew the story of Moses. He even knew of Moses' excuse before God. How often do we use what we consider our speaking inability as an excuse not to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around us? How often do we say to ourselves or to God, you know, I'll just fumble fumble all over my words if I were to go and talk to my neighbor about Christ or go out on the streets and tell a stranger about who Jesus is. I'm not good at that. Well, you're not alone. Moses said it. Jeremiah said it. In our local context, I've said it. I'm sure CB has said it or has thought it. There have been many throughout the history of the church who've made that same excuse, who've said it or at least thought it. But I want to encourage you, do not grieve the heart of God by saying such things. Jeremiah should have learned from Moses' experience. We need to learn from both Moses and Jeremiah's experience here and be encouraged that when we do fail, God hasn't given up on us. He still wants to use us. So when we get out there and say we do fumble over our words, 
don't give up. God's not done with you. He can still use you, and he wants to use you. Another ex, uh, excuse that Jeremiah gave to God was his youthfulness or inexperience. In verse 6, he says, I'm only a child. So Jeremiah now gives God his second reason as to why God should not use him to speak to the people around him, to his nation. He's like, I'm just a kid, God. No one will ever take me seriously. I'm just not the guy for the task. The divine call throws Jeremiah into terror. Now, I I realize that God is not calling people in this room to the kind of authoritative prophetic ministry Jeremiah had, but I think the principle here will apply to any kind of service or outreach or church ministry the Lord is putting in your heart to do. There may be some who say, "I, I, I don't have the experience I should, or I don't have the maturity needed, or I, I don't yet have the ability needed. But sometimes our perceptions about ourselves are wrong. God sees things we don't see, and he creates things in us that we didn't know could be. This doesn't mean that gifts don't count. It means that when the Holy Spirit ordinarily confirmed by the body of Christ, inclines you to serve people in a certain way, your objections need to be met with the encouraging word of God. Those who receive the call with fear and trembling can really only go with the strength of the Lord empowering them. We have a young lady in our church, a fairly new believer, who came to me recently and said, you know I've never taught children's ministry, and I've been frightened to do so. But I believe God wants me to. Can I start out as an assistant? Stepping out in faith. Realizing it's not about inexperience at all. And I said, we would love to put you as an assistant, and you can grow and learn how to teach. Thankful to God for her. She's not looking and saying, I'm too inexperienced at this. I'm too young in Christ to know how to do this. She's saying, I want to serve and I want to evangelize our children in children's ministry. In verse 7, God confronts Jeremiah. He says, do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Jeremiah's excuses were absolutely unacceptable to God. And may I encourage you to never try to excuse your way or your responsibility uh, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. God does not want to hear our excuses. And the Holy Spirit in the love that he has for us, will convict us when we try to weasel our way out of evangelizing the lost. And then God does something very encouraging here. Do you know that God knows all hearts? He knows your heart, and he knows my heart. He knew Jeremiah's heart, and he exposes to Jeremiah Jeremiah's own heart. And in verse 8a, he says, Do not be afraid of them. God cuts to the chase here. 
The underlying issue with Jeremiah was not that he was too young. The underlying issue with Jeremiah wasn't that he couldn't speak well. The issue with Jeremiah was that he was afraid. He was filled with fear. Jeremiah knew that the people of the land were rebellious. He knew that the people had disregarded the law of God and had started following after pagan gods. This young man knew of the false teachers, the false prophets, the idolatry and the child sacrifice that was taking place in his country. He knew that the words that he was to speak to the people would be offensive to them. Jeremiah 6.10 says, the word of the Lord is offensive to them. They take no pleasure in it. He knew that the current culture of death that he lived in would not hesitate to murder him if they had the chance. It was the fear of men, the fear of losing his life for the sake of truth that was causing him to be reluctant to go with the message of repentance. Fear cripples man. Fear renders man ineffective. If you live a life filled with fear of what the wicked can do to you, then you've lost your witness for Jesus Christ. There is no room for timidity in the body of Christ because the Holy Spirit, that same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is the same one who lives within you and gives you boldness to proclaim that God is holy, that God and he alone is worthy of all worship and praise, that God will punish sinners who do not repent and put their trust in Jesus Christ, the one who was born of a virgin, was God in the flesh, lived a sinless life, absorbed the wrath that we deserved on the cross, and rose from the dead. We have no excuse, brothers and sisters. We have the Holy Spirit who emboldens us to be like lions for the glory of God and God alone. What a God to lovingly rebuke us when we try to cower away from taking the gospel to the unbeliever. Not only does he expose the fears of our hearts to us, but he also assures us of something. In verse 8, look what he, how he assures Jeremiah. He says, I will rescue you, declares the Lord. God assures Jeremiah with a beautiful promise here, a promise to rescue when things got rough. What assurance we have today knowing that in the current cultural crisis we face, God rescues his people. Now understand, God did not rescue Jeremiah from trouble. He did not promise to keep trouble from coming to him. There is going to be trouble when we proclaim the gospel. God is not going to keep trouble from us. Jesus said in John 16, 33, and Tom shared this this verse, in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. God's way of rescuing us and our idea of how he should rescue us are two different things. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Where did God rescue Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? From the fire or in the fire? 
Where did God rescue Paul and Silas? From prison or in the prison? When one proclaims the gospel, trouble will come. We will face opposition. We will face persecution. We will face trials of many kinds. That is part of the package of being a Christian. Merry Christmas. Happy Easter. When you got saved, this is what you got as a gift. And it's okay. Because in the midst of the trouble, God rescues us with the peace in knowing that we are assured in our salvation. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Romans eight thirty one. If God is for us, who can be against us? In verse 9, we see Jeremiah's consecration here. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. God's promise to rescue reassures the prophet Jeremiah. He humbly submits to the Lord's calling in his life as a prophet. God will put his words in your mouth when you speak to your unbelieving neighbor, when you speak to your unbelieving spouse, when you speak to your unbelieving children or whoever it is God sends you to. You just have to submit to him and go. And when you go, he shows up. And in verse 10, we see Jeremiah's mandate. See, today I point you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So God appoints Jeremiah not only to speak to the Jews, but all the nations and kingdoms of the earth. His ministry was to warn all of the world about God's judgment on sin. And he's called to do a couple of things. He's called to uproot and tear down in verse 10. With the nation of Judah in such spiritual rebellion, God is stating that it should be rooted out as a tree or a plant that is plucked up by its roots. He's saying, woe to a people who would rebel against God. But even in the midst of such spiritual decay, God will always use his own people to bring the light of the gospel to the inhabitants. Jesus is the hope your neighbor needs. Jesus is the hope your co-worker needs. Jesus is the hope your children need. God says to Jeremiah that you're to destroy and overthrow. The nation with all of its practices should be demolished like a building, God is saying. We have the responsibility to do something as the church. We have the responsibility to take apart and destroy false doctrine and ideologies that are so prevalent in our culture. You know, sometimes when engaging people, 
Perhaps you're engaging a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon. You will have the opportunity to destroy and overthrow their false teaching. You will have the opportunity to uproot and tear out those lies that have deceived so many for so long. When engaging the culture, you may have to uproot and overthrow the idolatry consuming it. The idols of evolution, abortion, homosexuality. And when you do it, listen, please, when you do it, don't do it self-righteously. Remember, Jeremiah was grieved. He was brokenhearted over the state of the people. We do it compassionately, with hearts filled with love for the lost. Remembering that we, too, were once lawless men and women. And God saved us. Then when the idolatry, the false teachings, when you're interacting with another person and and the lies are destroyed, what happens next? Jeremiah is called to build and to plant in verse 10. We need to build and to plant. The Babylonian invasion and exile was, for the moment, a time of chastisement from God. But it also became a time of national repentance. God judges nations and people for their own good. The wrath of God, believe it or not, is a good thing. It may not feel good at the time. It may not look good at the time. But in order to be saved, one has to be under wrath. When I see the unregenerate under the wrath of God, I'm thankful. Because it allows for me to bring the gospel to that person so they would have the opportunity to repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. All chastisement from God is done intentionally with the purpose to lead us to Christ, the sin bearer. So after you uproot and tear down, you can start planting and building a gospel foundation. But God warns Jeremiah in verse 17. He says, get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. In other words, God is saying, roll up your sleeves, Jeremiah. Get ready for a fight. Be prepared to engage. Say exactly what I tell you to say. Kyle and Delich says, equip yourself and arise to preach my words to the inhabitants of the land. For the whole month of August, every Sunday in August, you were equipped I was equipped on evangelism. We even had a seminar on a Saturday morning equipping us. Today, I want to encourage you, church, to arise and preach the word of God to the inhabitants of our land. I cannot express the importance of learning and knowing the gospel Before we go out and proclaim it. In our lifetime, we will have to engage a non-believer. And when we do, we need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must proclaim the gospel when engaging the unbeliever. And when we do, 
we had better be ready for opposition. Because the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Darkness hates light. No one wants their idols torn down, let alone touched. But just because there will be opposition doesn't give us an excuse to minimize, reduce, or water down, or even hide the gospel. And God says to Jeremiah, do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. What a sobering statement. In other words, God is saying, Jeremiah, I have given you my word. I told you that I would rescue you. The day you start fearing man, you make me out to be a liar. The day you do that, I will take issue with you in front of their very eyes. You see, if Jeremiah were to draw back in fear and flee from the mission at hand, he would not only encounter men as adversaries, but also God himself. I will tell you this. If we shrink back from obeying God and evangelism, we will encounter God. He will convict us of our sin. And if you're convicted because you're not evangelizing, that's a good thing. That shows how much God loves you. If we're not convicted over sin, then there's an issue there. But if you're convicted because you're not evangelizing, that's a good thing. Repent. Do not be afraid of offending someone if you tell them they have to repent of their sins and trust in Christ for salvation. In a day when false teachers are preaching peace, peace, when there is no peace, or God accepts you no matter what you do or who you love, we need to proclaim the truth that without Christ, there can be no peace. Without Christ, man is hostile toward God, waging a war on the Creator that man cannot and will not win. And in verse 18, God says to Jeremiah, Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the land. Now, it's interesting he says stand against the land. In other words, not partaking in the licentiousness, the idolatry, the rebellion of the people of the land. A fortified city, I love this. A fortified city resists the assaults of its foes. It patiently endures the attacks of its enemies. A fortified city cannot be overrun. And then God says, I have made you an iron pillar. An iron pillar cannot be shaken no matter what types of storms arise. It is immovable. It stands firm in storms, in major winds. It cannot be moved. 
no matter what happens. And then a bronzed wall. These types of walls defy the missiles of the enemy. These walls are extremely strong and securely fastened so they can withstand the most severe of attacks. All these metaphors show the safety and the security of the prophet being surrounded by the power of God in the midst of hostility. Nothing would be able to move or shake this man. Nothing was going to be able to deter him from fulfilling his God-given duty as a prophet to the nations. The same consistency and immovableness was prevalent in the New Testament church and is for us today. The Holy Spirit makes us this way as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, even at the gates of hell. You, Christian, are a fortified city. God gives you strength to resist his foes. He gives grace to persevere as the enemies of God attack. You, Christian, cannot be destroyed. You are immovable in your gospel convictions. You may be afflicted in every way, but you are not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. And struck down, but not destroyed. Because you are a fortified city. You are an iron pillar. You are equipped with the word of God to stand firm against the winds of heresy, false teachers, and the ungodly climate that surrounds you. You cannot be moved because you are firmly grounded in your foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ. You, Christian, are a bronzed wall. No matter what happens while engaging people with the truth, no matter what missiles bombard you, the Lord will help you withstand them all. And why did God say these things to Jeremiah? Verse 18b. chapter 1, to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. Different groups of people, one message, repent and turn to God. To the governing officials of the land, to the president of the United States, to the Supreme Court of the United States, to Congress, all the way down to local government, repent and turn to God. To the false prophets and teachers of the land, like Joel Osteen, T.D. Jakes, Todd Bentley, repent and turn to God. To the inhabitants of the land, our family neighbors, our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, repent and turn to God. That is the gospel. We should with urgency tell people to repent and turn to God. We should with urgency explain to them the trouble that they are in because they are in big trouble with God. 
We should not hesitate to express to them that God is not their friend, but he is their enemy and they are under his wrath and that it would be perfectly just for him to cast them into hell. Let's not do away with repentance in preaching the gospel. Without repentance, one will not see God. And in verse 19, God says to the prophet, they will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Again, he has to tell Jeremiah that he will rescue him. The people were not going to listen to Jeremiah. They were content in their rebellion. They were enjoying their sin and they were going to fight against him. Christian, you are pilgrim on your way to the celestial city, and you are currently in Vanity Fair. If you don't know what that means, read Pilgrim's Progress. Tom, if you and the team could come up. The people are going to fight against you. They're not going to like the fact that you are unwavering in the gospel. The people of Vanity Fair are not going to like you telling them that God punishes sinners. The truth offends, but it is a risk worth taking. They will not like that you do not participate in their revelry, their idolatry. They're not going to like you telling them that they are under the wrath of God. The truth offends, but it is a risk worth taking. They're not going to like you telling them that they need to forsake their idols, repent and trust in God. They're not going to like you telling them that Jesus is the only way to the Father. The truth offends, but it's a risk worth taking. They're going to call you intolerant. They're going to fight against you. You may never see one convert in your entire life. But neither did Jeremiah. And he is considered one of the greatest success stories in the history of the Bible. The truth offends. It offended the people of Judah. But it was a risk worth taking because God commanded Jeremiah to take it. 
the truth will offend the people of America. But it is the risk worth taking. So, go, take the truth, and proclaim it to the people. Do not give up. Don't quit. Take the risk. And glorify God. I have the honor of closing us in prayer and also sharing the benediction. And so I want to do that at this time. Let's pray together and ask for the Lord's blessing on us. Oh, Lord, our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price. So, Lord, therefore, help us to glorify you with our bodies. Lord, our lives and our bodies are not to be used the way we just want to use them for ourselves. But, Lord, our lives are meant to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. And, Lord, part of that sacrifice is really committing our lives to to serve you and to proclaim the name of your Son to this area and to the nations. Holy Spirit, I pray for your power to come and fill us as a local church to do just that. I pray that we would be a church who would view our lives as not our own and that we would remember that we've been bought with a price, the precious blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And that we would be wholeheartedly devoted to you. Thank you so much, Jesus, for laying your life down for all of our sins. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving even all of the excuse-making we give that has grieved you. Help us to overcome whatever excuses are in all of our minds for why we don't have to share Help us to overcome those obstacles so that friends and family members and co-workers, friends at school and friends at work, people in our home, wouldn't be on the receiving end of our silence, but Lord God, that they would be on the receiving end of our proclamation of the name of your Son. Open up doors at work, open up doors at school, and open up doors in our homes, and use us. Here we are, Lord, send us to proclaim the name of your Son. We love you, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, Christ Community Church, go out from here and proclaim Jesus. Remembering that though they will fight against you, as verse 19 of Jeremiah 1 says, though they will fight against you, they will not overcome you, as John reminded us. For God is with you to deliver you. Amen? Have a wonderful week.